Mr. Connor is a registered representative and managing principal with Connor Wealth Management. Securities offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, member FINRA, SIPC. Opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, its guests, and callers, and not those of WLVL, its management, staff, or sponsors. Nothing contained in this program should be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell a security. And if applicable, only after the prospectus has been read and understood by the customer. These decisions can only be made after consideration of an investor's investment objective and the investment suitability. All right, good morning, everybody. Today is Friday, July 21st, and I am joined in studio here with Mr. Eric Conner, the CEO of Connor Wealth Management. And uh, we're going to be talking all things wealth today to manage your wealth and your retirement, make sure that you are in good financial shape. Now, he is located at 5860 Snyder Drive right here in Lockport. And if you would like to schedule a consultation with him, you can feel free to call his office at 439-1143. That's 439-1143. Good morning, Mr. Connor. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I am well. I was just uh, buying you a little time there with those headphones. It was a little funny this morning. Yeah, I'm only hearing out of the left ear, so it, it's a little uh, a little strange. All right. We'll see if we can get you another set of headphones as we go. That the other set probably works a little better. <laughs> or maybe it's a sign that I've lost my hearing in my right ear. I don't know. You know, my wife would accuse me. Uh, I'm sorry, not accuse. That's uh, that's that's the wrong word. No, she would make the observation. She would make the observation that perhaps my hearing isn't what it once was, but I'm pretty sure I can still hear out of my right ear, just not through these headphones. Yes, yeah, so my my wife has suggested that I have selective hearing loss. Yes, selective memory, selective hearing loss. Yes. Well, it just happens when you get older, and when you've been married a long time. Yes, that too. Mm-hmm. Anything over twenty years. It happens. Yep. But it's all good because you're still married after 20 years, so That's something's right. going right. That's right. So we were talking uh, <laughs> off air before we uh, started the show about uh, Tony Bennett passing away, and you were talking about 1951 when he's... His first hit was yeah. 1951. That was a long time that ago. That is unbelievable. Like, Harry Truman was president. <laughs> it had not. We had not transitioned to Dwight David Eisenhower yet. It's what, 70, 72 years ago? Yeah. That's just amazing. And he was still playing and singing uh, up until recently. Yeah, you know, and I'm sure there's many, many examples of people that have totally maintained the quality over the years. Um, Sinatra's not one of those guys, though. His, his sing, he sang well into his later years. But let's be honest, it wasn't quite at the quality of his no. younger years. But Tony Bennett never lost that wonderful the warmth in his voice it never went away and his stylization was just classic yeah it is not easy to stylize music like he does it's just it's it's a it's a i don't know if it's a gift or if it's just something you practice to get good at but uh he was simply amazing he had his residency i believe in vegas for all the last decade at least Mm, okay i'm pretty sure he still had his residency there and of course i'm not a big fan of lady gaga but boy, did she do a great job with that song she did that She did with great him. with him. That's right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, she, she really can sing when she's not being a jerk. <laughs> when she's not wearing the meat dress. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those, uh, ugh, yeah. But boy, she has a great voice when she wants to. So at any rate, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to join our conversation, talk about something financial, 433-1433 is the number, 433-1433. You can certainly feel free to call with questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, and uh 
that's how we're going to do it because that's how we always do it here on Ask the Pro. How many years you've been doing Ask the Pro, Eric? This is uh, six and a half years right now. Six and a half years. So that's that's a good steady. That run. is a long time. It is. I mean, it really is. Now, John Shepard, prior to me, uh, I think he was around twenty four years. Yeah, uh, I- which. You know, that is a very, very, very long run. And then John uh, worked his way towards retirement. And so uh, we had a short little window where we transitioned over to me. And him and I were here, I think, maybe only two times. Um, sort of me sitting in going, geez, John, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to do this. <laughs> and then the second time was sort of like, yeah, all right, I think I can do this. And then off I went. Now look at you go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some people might be listening and be like, geez, Eric, you haven't gotten any better in six and a half years, but I keep coming back. So That's right. You haven't gotten any worse either. <laughs> <laughs> the jokes might have, but. Well, we won't go there. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's always an interesting conversation with you because you, you're, you're well thought out. You think about what you say before you say it and you're, and you're prepared. You know what's going on in the stocks. You know what's going on in the financial world. You you keep a close eye on everything all the time. And in my opinion, if you're going to have a financial guy, you need a financial guy that does that. So that's... You know, yeah. And, and the one thing, uh, and callers have mentioned it when when they come, come in with a question, um, you know, you got to sort of, uh, you can't be out at the extremes, right? You can't be uh, as low as the market might be like last year when it was a bad stock market year. Uh, and then you can't be all the way euphoric and crazy happy when you're when the market's having a good year, which it's partially having a good year this year. It's really um, selective in, in the areas that have done very well and then other spots have not uh, participated. So, yeah, I tend to be somewhere in the middle. Um, probably saying that, uh, through much of life. Right. Um, but you don't want to swing out to either side and, uh, hopefully it provides good advice. Right. You don't want to be bipolar financial guy. (laughs) We have, we have a call. Let's see what's going on. Good morning, caller. You are on the air with Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management. What is your uh, thought or question, please? Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, fine this morning. Uh, one of your previous programs there with your guests, they brought up about Social Security, uh, federal government basically borrowing money from the Social Security funds. Yep. And uh, I believe this has been going on for probably ever since Social Security was first formed. So they've been going on for about 30 years that I know of. And they um, keep saying that Social Security is going to go broke. Yet the government never repays these so-called loans. I would call that theft. <laughs> and then we had uh, Mike Pence re, uh, giving a speech there that he wants to do away with Social Security. Is this his way of saying it never have to go to pay Social Security back? I just know what what could ever be done. What can the uh, when they're going to pay this money back to Social Security? So uh, it's. Uh, Properly funded again. Yeah. So it what the mechanism over the years has been is that the contributions going into Social Security uh, paid by the employees and the employer paying in equally 
it has been overfunded over the years, meaning more money's come in than needed to get spent on Social Security benefits. And so I've mentioned in prior shows that as a bookkeeping entry, what the government has done for decades is they take that overage, the overpaid amount, and they reduce what they report as a budget deficit. And when they bookkeeping entry take that money, they also give you a corresponding IOU in terms of federal bonds, right? I don't know the maturity. I don't know the exact language. But in essence, they say, well, we'll take this uh, – I'll use $3 billion. Isn't it? It's not that much money. Let's say $300 million. We'll take this $300 million that was over-contributed and we'll hand you this um, – IOU in the form of a treasury guarantee that will pay this money back in the future. So what it amounts to is this, right? The government's sort of taking 20 bucks out of the left side of their pants pocket and putting 20 bucks into the right side. And in the future, when there is more money being spent on Social Security than is coming in from payroll taxes, what will happen is that the budget deficit will get bigger because of that expenditure. And so the caller the the question the caller has is sort of like how does that come out in the wash? What what does that mean? Well, what happens is it means the government will sell even more bonds than it already does because the deficit will be that much bigger. And so the demand of the social security benefits right the bulge of the baby boomers as that demand is there we will sell more bonds in any given year to create the money to send out those social security benefits now the added point in there is the idea of whether social security is insolvent or not i tend to cringe about that because the estimates show that even in a bad scenario of the government making no modification, and this would come out of Congress just to be clear, um, Congress would have to pass legislation to improve the situation. But that if nothing were done, the current estimate is that there'd still be enough revenue coming in to fund 70% of the promised benefits. So, How can it keep saying that they're going to be, you know, they're going to go broke? Correct. In uh, several years. Yeah. And every time we get a slight increase in Social Security, they increase the deduction for your Medicare. That's so you really true. don't gain that's right. much. Or that's right. Virtually nothing. Yeah. So that that's sort of the uh, – uh, they, they hand it to you in a handshake and then kick you in the shin with the added insurance costs. That's right. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so – If they uh, – Go we ahead. paid this money or didn't take this or take this money out of the Social Security. I'm sure retirees could have a little uh, more relaxed or enjoyable lifestyle when they retire. Perhaps you know, I, can't, I can't believe you can survive just strictly on Social Security today. That's correct. And uh, Mike Pence made a speech there that he wants to create a uh, some type of savings program. For retirees, well, that's what Social Security is. It basically was uh, a forced way to get people to save for retirement. 
correct. It was it was to provide uh, a, a forced deduction that would provide a basic income in your retired years. That's right. Right, right. Well, a lot of people couldn't you know, save any money. And the way things are going today, it's even harder. They tell you to save for the future, but it's pretty hard when there's nothing left at the end of the day. You know? That's right. <laughs> Yeah, we've you know we've talked about on the show here. We've talked how um, two thirds, roughly two thirds of Americans at age sixty five do not have twenty five thousand dollars in savings. How do you go into retirement? How do you have a comfortable, successful retirement when you don't have any actual savings after working all those years? So, yeah, it's hard to envision a scenario where you chop away the social security program as it exists and somehow yeah. magically transition to a private savings program um, knowing that more than half the country does not successfully save on their own as it is today. Yeah. Right. Well, you look at today's savings uh, interest. If you have a savings account to say to the bank what the interest they pay today, uh, it's virtually nothing. It's a little bit of money today, but, you know, if you think of, say, 20, 2009 after the great financial crisis, 2009 all the all the way through to the beginning of this year, you were paid almost nothing on whether you own 10-year government debt or a CD or municipal bonds. You were getting a very, very low rate of interest. Today um, – I guess I would sort of shrug and say, like, you can get a modest amount right now. You know, you can you can have six month CDs in the window area of five percent, maybe a little above five percent. But you know, a ten year government note is still only paying you around four percent. Who wants to loan the government money for four percent? I can remember uh, several years ago when CDs in the local bank in Lockport here was paying double double digit interest. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That would be in the in the period of time where uh, inflation in the '80s was running very hot, higher than what we just experienced, and uh, and Paul Volcker's attempt to fight that was, in fact, to raise rates very high, right? And so you have those famous uh, stories of mortgages at sixteen percent and CD ten year CDs at twelve percent. Absolutely, right. I also heard a program years ago on the radio that uh, I can't remember the fellow's name of financial said that the federal government and the uh, Wall, or Wall Street was responsible for the reduction in interest to force people to invest in stocks and bonds. Uh, that I would I wouldn't go with that one. You know the interest rate. Uh, Settings are always running out of the Federal Reserve and then the broad market itself. It doesn't get um, dictated by, say, Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley, that sort of thing. Okay. Well, if I enjoy your program, listen every week. Great. Every other week when you're on. There you go. Thanks so much for the call. Thanks for listening. Oh, oh thanks for your information. Thank you. All right. Thank you. That's a, That was a good call. It was a good question and a Things are going well. So you're listening to Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management here on WLVL 1340 AM, WLVL.com. And you can catch any of Mr. Connor's programs on WLVL.com. Just hit the podcast button, pick your 
program. Pick your date and you can hear them all because that's what we do here. We save all this stuff so that you can hear them anytime you need to. And if you would like to have a uh, consultation with Mr. Connor in his office, you can call him at 439 439- 1143, that's 439-1143, and he's right here in Lockport at 5860 Snyder Drive, so he's very accessible, and he actually returns your phone calls, isn't that something? That's right, every time. That's right. Yeah, that's that's may, good. May, just to be clear, maybe not in five minutes, but I definitely return the phone call. <laughs> no question about that. Well, we don't have to return a call here. If you call us at 433-1433, you can call with your questions, comments, thoughts, and or concerns. So how did the stock market do this week, uh, Eric? Uh, so we've been on uh, quite a uh, quite an uptrend roll, you might say, which is mixing mixing phrases together. But uh, something like eight up days out of nine. Um, markets at highs that it hasn't seen since early last year. Um, so we've, you know, when you think of uh, sort of saying like we've erased the whole decline from the second half of last year. I think the Dow is at a high since last April. Uh, NASDAQ, I couldn't tell you where that range is. Um, so we've had a good stretch. We've had a lot of earnings coming in this week. And I'll touch on just two areas that I find interesting. Um, so listeners will remember that back in March and into April, we were talking a lot about the banks uh, the stress of um, deposits fleeing the system and how out west a couple of banks did collapse uh, and go into receivership. And um, this is the first real quarter, three months earnings season, where we're really seeing kind of how that played out for a lot of banks. And so when you think of locally, you've got Citizens and M&T uh, and KeyBank, of course. Um, M&T's numbers were we're just fine and uh, citizens were just fine. And so the stocks moved nicely higher on the news um, and, and sort of proving that the panicked time of say three months ago, um, you know, the activity on the West coast doesn't mean the same thing here on the East coast. Right. Um, so well-run institutions, aren't having those same kind of problems that occurred out west. And um, and the stock and er- the earnings are showing that and it's and it's working out just fine in terms of those stock prices. They're still well below their 52-week high, meaning their yearly high, but they are very firmly above the lows of three months ago. So that's nice to see. Uh, it is what I expected um, and and so for longtime holders of those of those stocks where they were nervous and and certainly concerned, um, you know if you've if you've got a bank where you're confident in what the management has been doing and the standards in which they run the bank, um, that that was a period of time that was horrible on paper, but is not horrible into the future. If that makes a little bit of sense, it and, does. And then. Um, the other bit of news, and this would be the side, this would be the side of things that maybe doesn't make us all happy, is uh, Wednesday after the close, United Airlines had earnings, and then Thursday before the open, American Airlines had earnings, and they're boasting of uh, I think record revenue, 
and near record earnings. I won't say it's record earnings for sure, uh, but r- revenue was very high for both of them. And they both cited international travel demand as one of the reasons that their revenue numbers were as good as it is. And I kind of mention it and and sort of allude to the fact that maybe we're not all as happy about it because if you've traveled or if you've got family that's traveled any time over the last year, not just the last three months, but any time over the last little while, what a challenge it's been with flight cancellations, with delays, um, with a lack of um, connecting flights, so you might not actually leave or arrive when you're really needed, right? You might actually have to leave early or leave at a really inconvenient time. Uh, we just had a story, um, one of one of our family friends, they had a flight cancellation ahead of their uh, summer vacation to Disney World. They had to drive because they could not get a rebooked flight that would match up with their reservations down at Disney World. So that on the spur of a moment, instead of taking that flight, they had to leave the airport, hop in a vehicle, and drive down to Orlando for that vacation. What a challenging time we have as any kind of vacation or family trip or... Um, you know, business itself, but what a challenging time. And yet the airlines themselves are doing pretty darn well from a, from a revenue and earnings standpoint because of the fact that that demand is there. They can charge a good price, right? We all, no one's, uh, I'll say this jokingly, no one's flying to Orlando for 60 bucks round trip right now. No, right. not anymore. No more right. JetBlue. Right. There's no super special going on, right? Like, uh, you're getting hosed pretty well. No matter where you're flying, no matter what airline it is, you are getting a pretty steep price. And it shows in these earnings reports. And so I'll just add one last thing on there because I was watching for both United and American this week. So it's sort of top of the mind. United stock has moved a little bit higher, even though their earnings and revenue were kind of the same setup as American. And American is off probably 5 or 6% since they announced yesterday morning. So totally opposite responses in the stock market. But yet, when you think of how much did revenue go up, how much did profit go up, they were basically identical. And you get totally different answers in terms of stock price behavior. So... You know, that's one of those things where I like to bring it up because it's not always as predictable as you might think it would be. Right. You get very, very different outcomes, even though you have the exact same revenue and earnings growth. So did we mention bipolar earlier? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I've also read that it's uh, getting a a passport is is really delayed right now. You have to wait a very long time to get, for that to get processed. Yeah, if, if even if you've got a renewal, so not right. even getting one from scratch, which is always more of a challenge because then you got to bust out the birth certificate and all this other stuff. Um, but even getting it renewed is a real delayed process, and. Um, uh, if you're applying for TSA PreCheck or Global Entry, uh, TSA PreCheck is what gives you a little bit of a benefit in the airport for uh, security check-in 
on domestic flights. Global entry is that same process, but it also includes uh, when you're traveling internationally. Even if it's just to Canada, there's a perk if you use global entry. So in years past, you could sign up from scratch on either of those, TSA PreCheck or Global Entry, uh, start the process online. Uh, You'd go, I believe it's on Union Road in West Seneca for a little short interview and fingerprints. And you could be done sort of like in a month, sort of beginning to end. I did it back in 2018, and I remember it was pretty painless. Well, if you want to get either of those right now from scratch, and it does last five years when you pay, uh, the estimated time is a minimum of four months, more likely six months or more. And so if if you've got some sort of trip planning that you're already going to be hassled completely in terms of trying to find the flight that you want <laughs> at a price that you want. Now you got to pile on the, the making sure your passport is in good order. Again, even if it's a renewal, it's delayed right now. And if you really want the perk of TSA PreCheck or Global Entry, you really need to plan ahead because they are months and months behind what their normal schedule is on that. And I will say for... What's the reason? Yeah, there aren't enough employees in the government system to process all that paperwork at this point. I don't know if the answer is simply hire more people or get a better system, right. but that's what it is, right? There, in 2018, when I did TSA PreCheck, it was not a big, big ordeal. It was pretty smooth. And here it is, you know, five years later, and now it's a big problem. Right, you have to plan a year in advance for whatever you're going to do. Yeah, to be yeah, safe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, if someone's got a big trip, they want to go to you know they want to go visit Paris or they want to go to London. Like, oh, I use London as an example, right? The Bills are playing in London in early October. Yeah. If you don't have your flight plans and accommodations and all your documents already, you probably have a problem. You know, maybe. Yeah, if your passport's not in good order, you have a big problem. But, you know, you could travel without TSA PreCheck and Global Entry. You can do it. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot longer time. It's a lot. It's a little bigger ordeal. Interesting. Well, we have a caller. Let's see what they're up to. Good morning, caller. You are on the air with Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management. What is your uh, thought or question, please? Uh, my thought is uh, of the non-financial side. To piggyback on your uh, TSA PreCheck and Global Entry, I recently... Acquire Global Entry, and Global Entry is booked out over a year. They have uh, an appointment every 15 minutes, eight hours a day, six days a week, and you can't get an appointment for a year. (laughs) That's absolutely amazing. And I actually called the border and uh, asked the guy, because I thought thought the online system might be screwed up, because how is that possible, right? And uh, the inspection gentleman is like, no, you have to go online. And um, that's the, there's more information online available than they have actually in the office. And his recommendation is that I check it every day because they have cancellations. So fortunately, I checked it every day for about a month and a half, and I was able to secure something sooner. But just to piggyback, uh, it, it does, for any of those that in the listening 
audience that are going to travel, it does make life a lot easier. So I like your show. Great. Show today. Th- thanks, for, thanks for the call. Thanks. Yeah, uh, I will say um, for me, I was traveling with TSA PreCheck. Uh, for uh, that five-year window, and of course, the pandemic kind of stepped into the middle of that. Um, but it is a big assistance uh, when you walk into the Buffalo Airport on a you know busy morning where maybe you're not maybe headed to Florida, but a whole lot of people in front of you are. Yep. <laughs> Take a look over to the left where TSA PreCheck is. I think the most I've ever had when I was when I still had it, the most I ever had over there was like six people in front of me. It is I jokingly call it the VIP lane. Now that's in Buffalo. You go to the bigger airports. You're down to LaGuardia or JFK, or you're in Chicago or Seattle or something. Even the TSA PreCheck line can be very busy. Because lots of other travelers are using it in the same way that I was in that moment. Sheer volume. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the advantage, there is still an advantage. And that's when you're in pre-check, you don't have to do some of the disrobing that you're doing in the other line. So you're not taking off your shoes. You can keep your jacket on, that sort of thing. So it's, it's still a little bit easier, even if you're at an airport where it's busier. But again, leaving Buffalo, it is like a VIP line. It is. That's great. Yeah. And pre-check, just so listen, not that this is the point of the show to promote this, but it's like $85 for five years of coverage. So, you know, if you're flying a couple times a year and you get it for all and you get the benefit for all five years, uh, I would say it's worth the money. You know, if, if you're if you're a semi-frequent flyer and I was flying in that time period, my exp- in 2018, I flew several times for business in 2019 a couple of times and and that was kind of my expectation like well you know if i if in the five years i'm flying maybe 15 trips that's well worth 85 85 dollars for all the time saving and inconvenience so it worked out fine for me uh in that time window no question about it because that's what's your time worth waiting in line and the frustration of having to take your shoes off yeah that yeah i remember the tsa busted me or tried to bust me coming back from Florida, doing a WLVL remote in Florida for having an SM57 microphone in my bag. <laughs> they thought it was a, a bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, it, it's, it's electronic. It's, it's round, it's cylindrical. Yeah. You know, and they're like, what is this? I'm like, it's a microphone. <laughs> yeah. Right. It took a little while to get it through their head what a microphone was. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. but uh, I got through it. Got back home okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, 433-1433 with your questions about the financial state of the world or your personal financial state, which is the most important thing because we're talking about uh, people not having a whole lot of savings. And uh, you need to start saving now. It's not too late, is it? It never is too late. Right. Never. And so Mr. Connor will help you put together a plan that will be most advantageous for you when it's time for you to start your retirement. And so just give us a call and you can he can answer any of your questions that you might have concerning how to get started or how to improve whatever savings that you do have. You know, we were talking earlier about the banks. The banks don't have very much uh, interest rates, but some people are afraid to put their money in the stock market because they're afraid it's going to do another 2008. Yeah. And uh and you have proven time after time that the long haul, the long haul of, uh, of stocks and bonds are always a win. Uh, 
compliance wouldn't want me to say it quite like that, but <laughs> uh, I'll say it. And uh, so, good. you know, the difference is the if you're if you're loss averse, then your world is limited to what you can put your money into, and the banks would be one of those in would be one of the logical places you would look, right? Whether it's a CD or something like that. Uh, so loss aversion is a big problem, but if you can take on some volatility and the risk of loss, when you have a longer time period, you should want to take on some equity risk and history will show that when you've got those long periods of time, it's worked out and you've got some growth periods in there that it's worked out very, very well. Every once in a while, there'll be uh, sort of uh, declines that match up with each other. And so you'll have a 10-year window of time or a 15-year window of time that is very bland or maybe a smidgen down on the uh, stock index side. But those are pretty rare to have long periods of time where where you're below the trend of what you would get in T-bills or CD rates, that sort of thing. So yeah, it's never too late to sort of get your financial house in order, uh, figure out what your income and expense imbalances and, and take it from there. Um, and we can work on that for you and, uh, and sit down and discuss it. Uh, the office number is Eric has said four, three, nine, one, one, four, three. Uh, and, and you can give me a call and I do get, uh, and I've pointed out before, I get calls during the week sometimes where people are too shy to call on the air. Right. And they will absolutely give me a call at the office and we'll talk about a credit card issue they might have or a social security question. And and it really is they, they just don't want to have their voice on, on the radio. They just don't want to risk, um, I don't know. Full par. Yeah, they yeah. worry. They worry about some sort of slip up that that they'd be embarrassed about. But don't be embarrassed. Give me, you know, give us a call either on the air or at the office. It's fine. Questions need to be answered. No worries. Right. Yep. And we're here to help. Four three three one four three three four three three fourteen thirty three is the hotline to get a hold of Mr. Connor here live on the radio. So we've still got about uh, 13, 13 minutes left. So there's plenty of time for callers to get in. Uh, anything else going on in the financial world that we need to really be aware of? Is that the world economic situation? So, I, so the thing to point out, we've got uh, a Federal Reserve meeting coming up next week. And while we've had uh, the last inflation numbers, and I can't remember if that was when I was here last or if it was last week, but the last inflation numbers have continued to improve. And I will say much like I foreshadowed over the last few months that they would just kind of, by nature, they would trick, trickle lower and lower and lower because right. that's just how math works. <laughs> the year-over-year comparison would get easier. And so we have a an inflation rate that is um, lessening, right? The rate of inflation is lessening. And yet we've got a very robust job market. And so the Federal Reserve meets next week, and I would say that it is highly likely that they do raise rates another 25 basis points. I can't imagine that you'll see 50, but I would 
say that 25 is on the table, and I would expect it. Now, you've had some uh, speeches from the Federal Reserve governors talking about between now and year end, they might consider two or more raises. I will still say I think they're raising next week, and I don't imagine – I don't foresee the next time they'll raise rates. I just don't. Um, They know that as they've raised rates, they've created some stress in the banking system. And so if they just keep raising rates in the face of declining inflation solely to stop the hiring in the job market, I think they'll create more havoc on the bank side. So that's kind of my expectation. We'll come to next Wednesday in the afternoon about 2 o'clock. I think they'll announce a 25 rate, 25 basis point rate increase. Um, everything will adjust a little bit to that, right? Like uh, CDs will go up. Newly offered CDs will go up a smidge. Uh, anything that's a debt product that you have adjustable will go up a little bit, whether it's a credit card or home equity line of credit or something like that. I don't think it's more dramatic than that. I think they're, they feel like they're pressured into doing that move. I don't think it'll have a big impact on the stock or bond market. So, you know, I keep using the expression at times, I guess you'll just, we'll all just shrug at it. Like you go, okay, you're, you're raising another 25. Good for you. Um, but I don't think it'll have a tremendous impact, but the real, what the market's really going to look for is the statement that they release afterwards, the minutes of the meeting. The market's going to look for what does what comes next, right. right? And again, I don't think in the moment, I don't see them quite raising rates again ahead of that or uh, after that. But, you know, if we keep having killer jobs reports and we get great numbers out of July and then really good numbers out of August – Maybe when they meet into September, maybe they'll feel pressured again to move rates up higher. But I don't see it happening like that right now. But, you know, I guess I could be swayed in the future about it. So I think I think we move higher uh, on what this coming Wednesday with the rate increase. I don't think it has much of an impact on the market itself. How about the housing market? Housing is interesting. It yeah. Is. Uh, so I saw, uh, I saw this morning that mortgage rates had drifted a little lower. Uh, average in the country, this is not about a New York State figure because that's not how I uh, get the information. But the average in the country is about six and three quarters on a 30-year. Um, I would say that's mildly um, – it's mildly okay for where we're at in the housing market so there's a, a real imbalance happening when you think of all the people across the country that have mortgages that are at three and three percent. I'll stop talking for a call. All right. There you go. All right. Good morning, caller. You are on the air with Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management. What is your thought, question, or concern? Yeah. So what I'm always wondered. So when there's a when there's inflation, you know, they always raise interest rates. Wouldn't I don't see how that helps the economy. I mean, I don't want people to save money because you get a high interest rate on a CD or whatever, but nobody buys houses, nobody buys cars, nobody has any money to put in the bank. So it would seem like it'd be the opposite of 
to raise rates, and they keep raising and raising and raising. And people, the housing market's dead. People aren't buying new cars because the interest rates are crazy. It'd be crazy to buy a house now when it's 7%, when it was 2% two years ago. So if you could explain to me why that is, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, so uh, I've mentioned in the past that <laughs> the Fed the Fed has uh, a twin mandate. One is uh, what they call stable prices, where they, they hope for a 2% inflation rate. And the other mandate is full employment. And you can argue whatever full employment means because 30 years ago, full employment meant 5% unemployment. And today, apparently, it means 3.5% unemployment. Um, but in a nutshell, when, when, uh, when you have higher inflation – the Fed's mindset about raising rates is to choke off demand, right? So they're, they're, they only have a couple of instruments that they can really use. And so their mindset is that inflation can be tamed or lessened if you, if you lower the demand for goods and services. And so with higher inflation, higher inflation, they will raise rates to choke off that demand, what they would view as excess demand. You and I might not view it as excess demand, but that's that's they don't have too many bullets in the chamber, so to speak, to fight it. So they're attempting to lower demand for whatever, right? In this case, I'll just say goods and services. And and over time that would have the dampening effect on the price increases and that you'd have a lessening of those increases. And in their mind, they would even hope for a pullback to get back to some level of equilibrium. It doesn't mean it's correct. And so when you ask it – I don't think it's correct. I don't think it's correct at all. Yeah, when you ask it in that way, I mean you're you're in line with a whole lot of people that say – there's got to be a better way to tackle this problem. And I would just say they don't have any other – they don't have a good, uh, a, a good method otherwise. I'm not, I'm not defending them at all. I'm saying I, they, don't, they don't view that they have any other way to fight it. It just seems counterintuitive. You want people to – the economy was actually going gangbusters and during COVID – when, when people were paying $50,000 over asking on a house and interest rates were, were 2% and historic, you know, home sales. And then all of a sudden COVID, so people go back to work and they, and then inflation hits and then they, the price of gas is up. No one has any money to put in the bank. I know they want you to put money in the bank because interest rates are high, which is exactly what I did because I had something to do it with. But people, I mean, when, when people buy houses and cars, the economy is stimulated. When people buy the, buy a house, you know, realtors work, painters work, plumbers work, drywallers work, because the remodel industry works, everything works. But when, when it's 7%, people are like, you're out of your mind. I'm, I'm going to wait it out. And the rate, they raise, keep raising and raising and raising, and they won't come down to a level that, that we've seen people want to buy houses at 4% for maybe five or six years. So they're putting a, they're putting a, a damper on the economy for uh, five or six years, and it's crazy to me. Yeah, it's interesting that the the one thing that's finally starting to happen in the housing market. So the uh, you've got a whole bunch of houses, millions of units of houses across the country, which will almost never come on the market because people are 
are in low interest rate mortgages. And so they're like, well, I, I don't want to give up that mortgage. It doesn't transfer to a new house. So they're not going to put their house on the market. And because of uh, that lack of supply, what has started to happen in some parts of the country, we do have some improvement in new housing starts that's a little unexpected with the higher mortgage rates. You would think that the new housing starts would have really been choked off because it would have just been excessively costly for people to build. But we've seen a little bit of numbers that that show some health there above the expected amount. So the home builder stocks have actually done well over the last stretch of time. I would the say reason it, that is, I'll tell you what the reason that is, because people decide to buy a house years in advance. So they 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 sell their house and get above asking and they have a bunch and, and, their, and their house is paid off for 10, 20 years. They're older. They want to get out of a two story, get into a ranch. So they make a fortune on their house. And even when rates are a little higher than usual, they're they're paying cash for the house. They're not getting a mortgage rate. They're, they're paying cash because they, they buy their house in 1969 for $52,000. They sell it in 2020 for, I don't know, four twenty five, hundred thousand, dollars And then they buy a house for three fifty, dollars and they're, they're hundred grand ahead. And they pay cash for a house. They don't need a mortgage, a mortgage for that. That's what's happening. Yeah, there's a good amount. And that, that was even in the boom of, of the pandemic uh, market was you had uh, I think it was something around 40% of all the purchases even with rock bottom interest rates you had something like 40% of the deals were cash purchases right you had you had a, a good segment of the population uh, feeling flush with cash and they would they would feel fine putting it into the house even though they could have got a mortgage rate at 3% they were still paying for cash yeah so yeah, yeah. I, just, I just think it's. I'm, I mean, I just. I'm glad you agree that it's probably not the uh, the greatest idea to do, and the government's doing it. But but I just no one's ever explained it to me yeah, where I can I, I say, wish, "Oh yeah, I get it." I wish there were more solutions that they had. Thanks for yeah. the call. We're we're running out yeah, of time on the day. Yeah, it's it. The Fed. Uh, the Fed's only got a couple ways to sort of tackle inflation, and it doesn't always match up with what what we'd think of as the best way and it's just how it goes it is but it's our system that's the system we got and uh we make the best of it final thoughts there mr connor i was going to touch on the fact oppenheimer coming out in the movie theaters looks like a pretty interesting movie i was going to ask you if you were going to go see it in the imax uh well there's a story behind that my wife won't let me go to the theater anymore oh there was a time that I accidentally sat back down in the theater next to the wrong woman. <laughs> and she got really upset about that. <laughs> and I am no longer allowed in movie theaters. I am so sad we're out of time so that we can't hear the rest of that story. Oh, it's a doozy. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, Eric Conner from Conner Wealth Management. Give his office a call at 439-1143. That's 439-1143. 5860 Snyder Drive. Eric, have a great week. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Take care.